And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mothers and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, excuse me, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. If you are a redemption middle schooler, if you're in middle school, or if you have a child who's in middle school, at this time, uh, you can be dismissed. Uh, Jay, Mr. Jay Reimer will be teaching uh, the class today on uh, what are the sacraments. So if you're interested in that, please join Jay standing in the back. Awesome. Such a great class. It's a six-week course for middle schoolers and uh, kind of goes through the whole service so they can be sort of onboarded and understand uh, what it is that we do each Sunday. But let's pray. Father, the, the preacher's memory verse, uh, maybe even the, the Christian's memory verse, should be, apart from me, uh, you can do nothing. Father, we are reminded of our, our frailty, our weakness, and we ask for your intervention, your divine inter- intervention and condescension in our lives, in our feeble words, that we might come to know and believe and trust in you through your word and obtain your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So everybody, you know, everyone moves to suburbia to try to realize the American dream. It's about uh, getting to this ideal. Uh, suburbans and uh, you know, SUVs and minivans deck the streets of suburbia. And uh, success in sports and extracurriculars are the priority for parents. Getting ahead in these areas mean better opportunities for our kids' futures. And so where all our neighbors gather every week is around the field rather than the table. And this is something that Christian or not, all of us fall into. Um, We might trade Saturday for Sunday, but our hearts still cry out, goal, right? Run, good eye. That's that's where where our our, our desire is, uh, the success of our children. Uh, Baseball season is finally coming to an end, to say, uh, at least for not, not actual baseball season, okay? I'm not, let's distinguish here. Kids' baseball season is coming to an end. Uh, and we have uh, three boys. And so, I mean, that's a dream come, come true, that baseball season's coming to an end, right? It means we have our Saturdays back. It means, I, you know, there's several days in the, out of the week that, that we don't have to be, you know, on the field and, uh, and, and just practicing relentlessly. Uh, but talking to other parents, I'm hearing others will have their kids in summer camps and fall ball and, uh, and, you know, there's, it's like the season just never ends. It's just constant. You, you can always have your kid in the sport of their choosing forever. It's endless. And, and so they can get better and better and better and have a higher chance of success at, at being the best, at, at besting others. And, and as one, uh, for other people, talking to other parents, uh, the end of baseball season just means the addition of other sports, so lacrosse or, or swim or basketball, soccer, 
And so I find myself, you know, thinking and feeling, man, should I be, you know, immersing my kids in this too? And am am I limiting their success? Am I holding them back? Um, Because I want them to be successful. All of this exposes that we have an idolatry idolatry problem. That deep down we, we, we idolize family. We put family on this pedestal. And it's this idolatry problem of family that Jesus wants to confront this morning in our passage in Mark. And uh, it's, it's this idolatry that's hidden in the chambers of our own hearts um, that we have to unseat. We have to unseat this king in our lives. And so I want us to think about two things this morning. First, the idol of family. And then second, the blessing of family. So let's look at this first thing, the idol of family. Mark three thirty one. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And so Mark, the gospel writer, he comes back to the family. Uh, He just finished talking about the scribes, and now we're circling back to the family, coming back, his mother and brothers who've come to the crowded house to try to claim uh, the madman, Jesus. Um, if you're curious at all about that, please listen to last week's sermon. Uh, it's up online. And so with this house being super crowded, as we talked about, the family can't get inside, and so they have to pass a message, either by word of mouth or maybe some parchment of some sort, that they, they get the message to Jesus that, hey, your family's waiting outside. Uh, they're, they're outside seeking you. And two times in these verses, Mark says, they're outside. Your family is outside. He wants us to see that, 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 that twice they're on the outside, and by implication, the, the crowds are on the inside. And what's weird about that? And families like usually eat at the table, right? Like They're the ones on the inside. Crowds are on the outside. Well, there's a reversal happening here. And so Mark wants us to notice that. That's one thing. Another thing that's odd here is uh, the family, in verse 31, says uh, they called him. And the verb used here to call is used in other places in the Gospel of Mark to talk about this domineering, controlling factor to gain control over someone else. And so this, the family is trying to gain control over Jesus. They think that they have rights over him and that Jesus has to obey and listen. In our community, um, in our communities, the idolatry of youth sports tries to exert the same amount of pressure and force over us. You can sign your child up, as we just talked about, for a sport that that is endless, right? has many seasons. Uh, You can have practices two to four or five times a week with games on Saturdays and Sundays, where most nights are dedicated to improving, getting better, honing your skills. School obligations and, and sporting events, they crowd the calendar such that there's not time for anything else. And so like Jesus' family, the pressure to make your kids have the most successful future, the brightest future, the pressure to make your career advances even. Maybe we're not talking about youth sports anymore. We're thinking about our own successes. Those pressures crowd in and they're calling to us that we have to advance, that we have to give up everything else in an exchange and just chase after success, chase after influence, chase after power, chase after that money. And that's all standing outside calling to you. How will you respond? Are those things the most important in your life? Do you have to have a crazy, busy, 
family schedule? Do you need to take on additional classes? Do you need to drive the nicer car? This call for idolatry, of idolatry, is not just true for families. It's true for singles and anybody else, too. Every person. Each of us feels that, that earnest desire for recognition, for approval. Am I valuable? Am I worthy? Of comfort or ease. And we have to make a choice. Of what, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to make it an ultimate thing? Will we shape our entire lives and our eternity around that? Um, if you want to know what's truly governing, what's ruling your life, uh, there's a really easy way to do that. Um, and, and this can be homework, maybe. Homework from your pastor. Okay? Um, if you want to know what it is that, like, where is all my time going, open up your calendar and check, you know, where are all your blocks of time going? What is it that you're focusing on? Better yet, here's a really scary thing you can do. If you have a phone, like a smartphone, um, a lot of them measure how much time you're on, like Candy Crush or <laughs> you know, whatever it is that you're doing on your iPhone or, or Google phone or whatever. There's all kinds of different phones. Um, and you can, you can actually see how much time is spent on that. Just, I dare you to try that, just to see where do I spend all this time? Um, six hours on Candy Crush or whatever it was you know, for the week. Um, but you can see what it is that you value most. And if you find yourself captivated by an idol, um, candy crushed, um, there's hope for you to find freedom and, and, f- and forgiveness um, from idols and, and, and joy in Christ. And so I want us to look at the, the rest of this passage. So let's, we'll turn away from the idols of family. Um, we'll still talk about that a little bit, but uh, I want us to think about the blessing of family. So look with me at, at verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my, my mother and my brothers? Verse 34. And looking about at those who stand around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So if you think you're close to Jesus because of the family you're born into or the tradition you're in or whatever it is, think again. Jesus obliterates any notion of being close to him based on natural relations. And so he redefines the family unit, not on the basis of blood anymore, but on the basis of faith. Not on blood, but on faith. And there are only two kinds of people in this world, according to Jesus. There are those who sit with him on the inside of this house, and then there are those who are on the outside, which include um, even his own family in this, in, this, in this passage at this point. And so being a follower of Christ means we're in his presence doing God's will, or otherwise we're on the outside making faulty assumptions about his person and his work. And so think about all the, all the ways that we can think that we're on the inside when we're, really we're on the outside. Maybe we have been born and raised, we grew up in a Christian home. And so we've always thought, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I, I do what my parents do. We've never really taken it personally. We've never really considered, do I believe this? Do I believe Christianity is true? Do I believe Jesus is real, that he was raised from the dead? Or maybe we've trusted in our baptism instead of the promise of baptism, what baptism points to. Or maybe we trust in our church attendance or something else like our service, the amount of hours we put into the church or our good deeds or our giving or in, in all of these ways, right, we can misplace our trust and find ourselves on the outside rather than the inside. 
And so Jesus says his true family is whoever does the will of God. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we know what the will of God is. Uh, Jesus makes this clear in the very first chapter. Um, Jesus has been all about doing God's will, right? So the, the will of God is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to call people to repent and believe in this gospel. That's God's will. And so whoever's for the gospel is family. Whoever opposes the gospel is not, is how Jesus draws the lines. And right here, I mean, what Jesus says is offensive, right? It is, it is appalling. It is shocking to hear the words that he says, especially in this culture. Responsibility and your identity and your security and your stability and opportunity, all of that was tied so closely to family. And so for, him, for Jesus to sever the ties of family like that um, was, uh, was almost blasphemous. Uh, family ought to come first. And Jesus is saying the opposite. Faith comes first. The kingdom of God comes first. We, are, we live in a time where family, uh, like, like then, we live in a time where family is everything. We're always asking that question. It's a nagging question. How can I do what is best for my family? How will, I, how will this, whatever activity it is, how will this help my family? And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a warning. It's in Matthew 10, 37. He warns about putting family above everything. He says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How dare Jesus say that? Right? How dare he say that? How can he say that? Well, I think Jesus can say that because he understands family best. Um, Most people can't understand why Jesus would treat his own family in the way that he does, but Jesus understands the true cost of family better than anyone. He is the one who left his own family, right? He, He left his own family in order to create a new family. He is the one who had the perfect family, but left heaven to invite others into his own presence, into being a part of his family. You see, idolatry is looking to something other than God to secure your happiness. What is it that will make me happy? It's putting stuff or people in the place of God where that thing or that person or those people become your own Savior and your Lord. Non-religious people uh, substitute things like money and sex and power and influence. Religious people substitute good life. I'm living well. I'm doing what's right before God. uh, And turn that into an idol. And the truth is, all of us misplace our trust. All of us don't trust God. All of our hearts love counterfeit gods. We're each guilty of family idolatry and sports idolatry and fame idolatry and sex idolatry and success and power idolatry, right? So our great hope today and every day is is in God's faithfulness to do two things. One, to break down our idols. And two, to raise us up together with Christ. The Spirit convicts us of where and when we've turned good things into God's. And as we're convicted, we're reminded of the one, I'm talking about Jesus, who 
He was better than all idols, better than the best things we love and we crave and we enjoy. Jesus is the perfect worshiper. Um, he, he's the only one who never made anything more important than the Father. He always served. He always perfectly obeyed, even to the point of death on a cross. And so what God wants you to do, if you're an idol worshiper like me, what God wants you to do is he wants you to turn away from your idols and turn towards Jesus and trust in Jesus. He's the only one we can run to who can save us from ourselves. And so what Jesus is teaching us today is not to scorn our blood family and reject our blood family. His words might sound disrespectful at first, as if he were teaching us to disown family, Uh, But that's not the case here, as we'll find out later in the Gospels. He actually takes care of his mother right before his death on the cross. In John 19, he says uh, for for John, the disciple, to take care of his mother. So, So we know that's not true. But what he's teaching us here is that family is far more expansive, right? It's bigger. It's better than just our blood family. Um, Family is way more inclusive than blood. Whoever, as some translations have it, or anyone, as our translation has it, anyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. It doesn't matter what her skin color is. It doesn't matter what his socioeconomic class is. It doesn't matter what gender or nationality or uh, where you come from or where, who you were. All who do God's will are part of God's family. And so in this family, while faithfulness of, uh, to blood family is important, faithfulness to God is more important. As great as family can be, it can also be full of disappointment. And think about this for a second. Disagreement or, or death in family can, can, can bring all kinds of pains. Ultimately, no human family lasts forever. Remember, Jesus also taught that there will be no marriage in heaven, which means there won't be a nuclear family in heaven. Think about that for a second. As a father and a husband, that kind of makes me sad, right? Like, I'm not going to be married in heaven. And so, so I'm just thinking about that. Like, what's my relationship to my spouse going to look like in heaven? And what about with, with my kids? Um, I'll admit, it kind of sounds like a sad thing to think about. But it shouldn't be sad because in heaven, our joys are to be heightened, not diminished or, or extinguished. Our joy will be to the fullest, not to the least. In his book on miracles, C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis has this wonderful explanation. Uh, He says, say say you're explaining to your, your teenager, your adolescent, that the greatest bodily pleasure you can experience is sex. Okay, now everybody's gonna pay attention. Um, and, And as your adolescent is processing this, uh, he thinks, well, the greatest bodily pleasure, of course, is, is to eat candy. That's, that's the greatest thing, thing to do. And so they say back to you, well, can you eat candy while you do it? You have a hard time explaining that sexual pleasure is so much better than eating candy that you won't even be thinking about eating candy while you're engaging in the other pleasure, Lewis said. So Lewis says, we are like that child. We're like the child. We know pleasures of earthly things, like sex, married life, and the nuclear family. But we don't know, except in glimpses, the other thing which in heaven 
will leave no room for it. I think that's a, that's a fantastic way to understand whatever heaven's going to be like, it will be better than what we experience now. And so as close as our family unit can be, as tight-knit as a family unit can be, it will be closer there. And our family will be much larger than it is here. Be bigger. Uh, marriage isn't eternal. It's not ultimate. The truth should be comforting uh, to those of you who are single right now, and it should be maybe sobering for those of us who trust in our marriages for security. Um, I think it's a great reminder. So mothers, brothers, wife, these are temporary things. But in Christ, we experience a different reality. That when we become his brother and confess God is our father, we will never lose that family. We can't be disappointed by this new family because it is an everlasting family. It's a family that cannot be broken, that cannot suffer. And that's how Jesus can make this family his first priority because it's a family that will always have unending joy and perfect harmony. Now, the other thing that we learn about family from Jesus is that even though we risk losing our family for the sake of the gospel, for example, say your, fa- your family, I uh, mentioned this last week, so your family no longer wants you to be in their life because you became a Christian. That's really hard. Um, disowns you for, for, for coming to faith in Christ. Even though that may happen, we gain a new family in Jesus. And so there's the blessing of family for all of those who come to Christ. Later in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 29, you can write this down if you want, Mark 10, 29. Jesus said these words. He said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the Gospel verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And so when we come to, to Jesus, uh, we have an entirely new family that we're, we're part of. And that, that can bring us great joy, especially if we're someone who's experienced estrangement from our own families, from our blood family or who has never had strong familial ties, or, or if we're away from family, that we can find comfort in the family that God has given us in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, you have a greater family than your biological one. The family Jesus is making in the church trumps the bonds of blood. Um, the nuclear family isn't the center of the kingdom of God. Right? Like, happily married family with kids like we idolize that i think in in our churches i think we can we can do that and and that is not the center of the kingdom of god the gospel is right and that unites us closer together than anything else ever could uh, some of us have had greater exposure to this than others i remember there was a time uh when i had i was able to uh travel all around uh, the united states and canada other parts of the world, and I was able to go and, and, and just and travel and, and, and preach to different churches. And to every church that I went to, I was welcomed warmly by a new family. And so I enjoyed, you know, fireside chats and uh, long afternoons playing golf or 
quad riding or doing all kinds of things and just enjoying being part of the family of God in different places. And every time I was, I was given a new, a new family that I traveled, um, and, and the common bond that we shared was not blood, it was our baptism. It was not family, as it were, it was faith that, that knit us together. Water's thicker than blood. Um, some of you have seen Avengers Age of Ultron. I'm not doing in-game spoilers, okay? So don't worry about that. But Age of Ultron, yes? Some? Yeah. More people have seen it probably this week than last week, yes? No? Yes! All right. Got one. Um, so in that movie, the Avengers, they all suffer a pretty big defeat by Ultron, which is this like super robot that Tony Stark ends up creating. And uh, they're disoriented, and they're wounded, and they're so confused, so they retreat to Clint Barton's house, which he has a house. Uh, that's Hawkeye. Uh, it's a hidden home that I think S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, made for his family. To, it's like a safe house. And, and Clint's wife encourages them to pull together. And it's in this retreat. It's an oasis for them. Uh, they're in the middle of a family unit that the Avengers actually become a true family. Clint's the ultimate family man, and he offers them something that they can't get, they can't find anywhere else. The hospitality they're shown by Clint's family uh, does more than just give them a break. It provides for them healing grace, sustaining encouragement that they, that they were in need of. And I think much like the Avengers, you got to have an Avengers analogy of some sort, right? Um, much like the Avengers, we each need this familial healing that, that comes through Christ and can be found in his church. It's here in the family of God that we find nourishment and encouragement that we, we desperately long for, that we desperately need. So receive the blessing of your church family that God gives us in and through Jesus. And so do you trust in Jesus today? Are you doing the will of God by repenting and believing in the gospel? If so, you've been claimed by him. You're no longer an outsider like uh, the religious authorities or his family who was standing outside at the time. But you've been claimed by him to be his sisters and his brothers and his mother. And you're not an outsider, you're an insider. In Christ, you're part of this inner circle experiencing the very love of God for you in Christ. Let's pray.